All right, so today, um, let's see, 1043, let's see how well we get through this. I'm going to try not to rush things because I'm a speed talker and sometimes I, I can't see your faces. I have people look at me and they, they start lifting eyebrows. Like Kathy Troy is really good at it. She'll lift this eyebrow like this and I'll know I either need to slow down or I need to go back to that point because she's either got something to say or she's not feeling good from the cinnamon rolls that Wilma brought this morning. <laughs> but I can't see your faces. So sometimes if I speed talk or get too far or get too deep into Stu's head, it can be bad for you. Um, so I'll try and See if I can read that reaction from you. <clears throat> or I'll hear Tamara go, <clears throat> sweetheart. And then I'll, I'll back up. But what we're going to do is open your Bibles if you brought them. If you didn't bring them, shame on you. Bring them next week. But um, open your Bibles if you have them or your Bible app. And I want you to go to John 12. And we're going to work to finish up John 12. And we have three basic topics there. But before I do that, I want to set the stage a little bit and just do a really short review because it's kind of important to where we start off. Um, we'll be in John 12, uh, verse 12 through 50. But to go back in a few weeks to review, you know, Pastor Joey and um, um, Elder um, Jonathan, they have been preaching uh, through John. And, you know, we're not, we're not blowing through John. The Gospels ex exist through here. There's so much to learn here. There's a thousand lessons within there. So don't, don't get tired of, of uh, hearing and reading and learning about these um, there's so much that these folks recorded that there's just not even enough room in the Bible to record everything that went on during Jesus's ministry on earth or all the prophets before him and all the things that have happened after him. But the, the nuggets that we get, let's, uh, let's collect those and use those to build our wisdom about who God is and who his son is. Amen? Amen. Okay. Weeks in review. We talked a handful of weeks ago about uh, this man being born blind. This is starting to, at a time when Jesus is really amping up, and he's starting to let everybody know that he is the Messiah that was to come. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's the one that's come on the earth, and these things are going to happen through him. That's, that's been spoken about through prophecy. But this one little incident where he healed this one person, and he healed a lot of people, and he brought folks back from the dead. But this one incident where he, where he healed this man born blind, it's important to understand that it wasn't a medical condition that he had later in life. Born blind, no one had ever been healed from blindness before. Um, it kind of rocked. <laughs> okay. It kind of rocked uh, the church at the time because um, he did this, um, he did this uh, miraculous thing that just, wasn't, that just wasn't understood. So as they questioned this man about his being healed, they questioned his family about being healed. How can you say this guy's anything great? And the guy's like, I don't know. But he did heal my blindness. Well, he must be from the devil. How can he be? This is remarkable. How can he be from anything but God? Because only God can give the power to heal and to do miracles. How can you not just believe that he is who he says he is? And they get into all this debate. And the Jews are just getting real hard-hearted. The teachers of the law, and they're getting their arms folded. And they're getting mad at Jesus for doing all these incredible things. Because they're having trouble debunking who he says he is. It, Jesus continues to go on, and he doesn't care about how frustrated they get or how angry they get. He knows what they're building and trying to do. So he begins to speak even more boldly. He says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And the sheep know my voice, and they follow me. And you're not even of this, of this pen. You're from another father. You have another father. We follow this father. And he, he's doing this challenge where he's telling them very, very boldly of who he is. And his time is coming now, and God will be glorified through him, period. And so they, they, they make their first attempts to try and stone him. And it wasn't time for that to happen. They try to grab, gather him up, and then he's gone. 
Kind of like when he stepped in the boat and all of a sudden it was on the shore. Jesus could, he can hyper transfer to wherever he wanted, but they couldn't lay their hands on him because it wasn't time yet. But they wanted to stone him. He even asked him, he's like, is this why you're stoning me? No, it's because you're claiming to be God or you're claiming to be of God. Goes on and raises it up a little bit more. He's got these precious friends we've learned about really, really close to Lazarus and to his sisters, Mary and Martha. And we've learned some things about faithfulness and about works and about getting unprioritized about thinking about the things that need to get done instead of just sitting at the feet of Jesus and becoming comfortable there. Don't worry about all these steps about going through life. Just get comfortable there. So we learn from Mary. We learn from Martha different, different aspects of how we serve. And sometimes Jesus just wants us to sit at his feet. Just sit here and be quiet. Take me in. Let me, let me in. So we, we learned a lot about that. He brings Lazarus back to life. We can talk about that for a whole sermon, and, and many have been preached about it. But it's just something he did that day. He brought his friend back to life, and his friend went to his house, and he ate with him. And everybody saw him. It's like, weren't you the smelly one that was in the cave? Yeah, he was. So how, how did people just not fall all over themselves learning to believe who Jesus was? And they didn't. So here's, here's a question that I, that I want to ask. What did all of these people have in common? The ones who believed in Jesus and the ones who were teachers of the law and the ones who were, you know, the hierarchy in the church, what all things do they have in common? Well, the Jews continued in their, un, their unbelief. You'll see that at the top of your scripture probably if you have uh, NIV or CSB or ESB. It'll say in your subtitle, um, the Jews continue their unbelief. But even the believers struggled what they understood about Jesus. You'll see that a lot with Peter and with the other disciples. But that's the things they have in common. They're still trying to figure this out. They're still trying to understand what Jesus is talking about. And they're still not getting that he is who he says he is. Doesn't matter what he does. Doesn't matter how big the miracles are. He says, Lazarus, come out of, the, come out of that grave. And he comes out, take off his grave clothes. Give him something to eat. Okay. I mean, if that didn't rock the entire world who knew about it, I don't know what would. But they continue to struggle in their unbelief. We're going to talk about that a little bit. For me, for years, I, I see that. I see those subtitles. I read about the Jews who kept stubbornly going back to their, to their gods of Baal, to their gods of, 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 I forget all the names. I try not to remember them. But the gods who were detestable gods that they always went back to. I was like, you guys are idiots. Why did you keep going away from God? But I have to keep pointing that finger back to me. It's like, Stu, why do you keep straying away from God? Why do you keep straying away from his word and what he wants in your life? I can't point the finger at them too hard, and I'll talk about that here a little bit later. But since they continue in their disbelief, you know, there's a scolding that they keep now starting to get from Jesus, whom they're all really close to. And I've titled this message, and you won't see it up here, but I've titled this message, Are We Still So Dull? And I took that out of, I took that out of Mark 7, out of Matthew. And um, if you guys remember, we've talked about this through uh, the Gospel of John, too. Jesus did all these miracles. The ones that I spoke about, he also fed 5,000 on, uh, on um, five loaves and two fish. Then he fed 4,000. And he walked on the water in between there. And he sent out his disciples. They performed all these miracles. He did all of these things. And then he's, he's going to shore to shore to shore. People walking up to him. They're standing in his shadow. They're touching his robe. They're getting healed. They're getting healed. They're getting healed. They're getting fed. They're getting learned. They're getting smart. They're getting faithful. And then the Jews, they still have this stuff going on. The teachers of the law come up to him and said, okay, so you've been doing all this stuff. We have a question to ask you. Why is it that your disciples don't wash your hands before you eat? 
You know, we've been watching this in Mark, in our studies of Mark. It's a great question. It's like, idiots? All this stuff that he's done, they come up and say, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? You know, this is part of the, this is part of the Jewish traditions that we do these things. And Jesus, he's just, he's just appalled by them, but he teaches them lovingly. He said, it's not what goes from here into your body and out. It'll leave your body. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about those things. The stuff that's nasty, the stuff that's coming out of your heart and it comes out of your mouth, that's the stuff that's detestable. Those are the things you need to be cautious of. So he teaches them. And seems like he's okay with that. Then he gets into his close circle. These 12 that are supposed to be so close to him, they've seen him do all these things. They saw him stop the waves, like, waves, shut up. Winds, just knock it off. Poof, everything's done. They saw him walk on water, freaked them all out. Raise the dead, heal the blind, heal the sick, heal the crippled. They saw him do all these things. But then when he teaches about that, they pull him aside and say, Jesus, come here, come here. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean that it's not what we eat? That makes us, that makes us uh, detestable. It's, it's the stuff that comes out. And he, he asked them, he said, are you still so dull? Are you still so dull? I'm asking you that today. I'm asking me that today. Are we still so dull? We've had so much information from his word that those of you who are my age or older, you better have been reading over and over and over through your whole life. There's so much information available to us in the word, but also the living word of Jesus Christ. And his counselor, the Holy Spirit, who teaches us, who talks to us from the back of our head and says, this is the way to go. Go to the straight. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Don't keep meandering. We can't continue in, in our dullness. So this challenge for today is we can't continue to be dull. I, I consider myself fairly dull. I think I read a lot. I think I think a lot. I think I, I talk a lot. And I think I listen half as much as I talk. But I think I'm learning through all those processes so I really, really have to start being more like what Jesus was rebuking those disciples of, is to be dull-less, to be smarter, to gain more wisdom. Anybody else sense that? Am I the only one here that needs to be less dull? Three people? Okay. Good. So I want you to open up John 12, uh, 12 through 15. There's three things I want to get through. Um, the three things that you're going to see in your subtitles, the first one is the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry, the king has arrived. The second one is Jesus is going to predict his death. I, I, I hate that word. Jesus didn't predict anything. The father tells him what's going on. They communicate all the time. But in your subtitles, in your bottle, it'll say, in your Bible, bottle, it'll say Jesus predicts his death. And he draws believers to himself during that process. And the third one is the Jews continue to not believe and the consequences of that. But let's go to the, the one for triumphal entry, and I think I'm going to have you put that up, gentlemen. Um, John 12, 12 through 15. Can you folks see that? All right. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See that your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So a couple things going on here. Um, right now, this is a week before he's going to be crucified. He's out in the streets. He's been explaining very clearly about who he is. And there's a whole lot of people that are either believing or they're wanting to believe. There's so many that there's now this mob crowd 
that they're out there doing a really, really bold thing if you think about it. They're waving these palm branches. Now, I, don't, I never got the palm branches, so I read a little deeper about that. But in those times, palm branches were things that they used to get the crowd kind of stoked up. They were used for victories, like maybe they came back for battles, or there was a king who was being presented, or royalty who was being presented as a child. And the palm branches were just a way to kind of honor those folks. So the palm branches is kind of special. So this week they're saying, glory to God in the highest, Hosanna. And they're waving these palm branches as Jesus comes down the road. And they're saying things like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. But they didn't, they didn't make these statements up. This is prophetic. And I don't know if you can rush to this one, but I'll just, I'll just speak from it. This comes from, um, well, I'm going to fast forward first. This goes for the palm branches. It also goes to Revelations, which John is going to be involved with later. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10. Um, do you have that one? Can you pull that one up? Revelation 7. Sorry, I'd given them the paper, but the format that I have won't translate straight up there. So we're going to be a little bit off. Um, Revelation 7, start with verse 9. We're just going to do 9 and 10. If you have your Bibles, turn to those. I don't think any pages ruffling, so you all might have it on your phones. Or... This, is kind of, this is kind of neat, I think. So John, John's in the heavenly realm during this process. He was whisked up, and he was getting to see all this stuff that's either going on or going to go on. If you read much about Revelations, it's a, it's a fun place to read, lots to understand. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that nobody could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? Amen? amen. Do you agree with that statement? Amen. That's, that's when you say amen, so you agree with that statement. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But they're using palm branches. And I, I never quite understood that. I don't know where the palm branches came from. I mean, is the Garden of Eden accessible through there? Did the angels come down to earth and pluck them up? Or did uh, Jesus just say palm branches? Everybody's got palm branches. But it's used, it was used in a way to honor again. Something neat about palm branches, it'll make me think about them differently for the rest of my life, I guess. Back to that last part. So Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From verse 12 and 13, these believers are being really bold when they're saying that blessed be the king of Israel. If you think about it, during that time, the government leaders and the teachers of the law, this is no bueno for them. They, they don't want to hear that kind of talk, really. As these people are starting to say that, it's almost like right now, if you lived in Russia and you were out in front of Vladimir Putin's castle and you were shouting that this Navalny guy who's in prison, if you're shouting his name and saying, blessed is the next king of Russia, they'll probably come out and kill you in the streets. So there's that same kind of fear that these kings, they don't want to give up their, they don't want to give up their kingship. Do you remember what Herod did? Herod's the king during this time. Do you remember what the Herod did at that time? Uh, when Jesus was born, what did he do? He killed all the babies. Why did he do that? Because they weren't going to come and usurp his throne. That's his throne. 
So as these people are being so bold and saying, blessed is the king of Israel, he can't be liking that. The Herod can't be liking that. Pilate can't be liking that. The governor, this is, this is not her, just heretical. It's, it's, um, un, it's unpatriotic, I guess would be the best word. But these people didn't make this up. They get this from Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 talks about the coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See that your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Anybody here ever watch war movies? You ever see Gladiator or uh, what's the one? Lord of the Rings, anything like that? Do you remember, what are their war animals like? What are their war animals? Big, big horses. Sometimes the big draft horses, sometimes the big standard bread, the just broad chest and earn all this iron. And even as you read through scriptures, it talks about horses are just ready to go into war and tear into the enemy and they can help knock everybody out of the way and they, they snort and they snarl and they get ready for battle as, as they prepare for war. But it says, your king is coming and he's going to come on a donkey. <laughs> on the foal of a donkey, a little donkey, a baby donkey. Yes. You can't, I can't get really excited about that when I think about that. It's like, that's not what a king rides on. But, I, but I will, I'm corrected by that a little bit. Actually, David and some of his royal line, as I studied, they were sometimes honored on mules. It was, it was if you think about a donkey, a mule, versus a charging horse that's all amped up and ready to go to war, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of a king who's going to sit on such a mild animal? What's the one word that might come to your mind? What kind of characteristic is that showing? Humility, Humility servanthood, peace, right? The other kinds of kings, like, I'm coming to conquer this land and it's going to be mine. Those other kings are coming like that. But in this instance, in Zechariah, he even prophesied about it. This king, this blessed one of Israel is going to come on the foal of a donkey. Jesus is laying this out. It's like there's a peace and the stuff that you don't understand in a realm that you can't even begin to know about. And he really was the one. This was all set up way before he got there. It says Jesus found a donkey. God probably created that donkey. He's like, get your donkey. Okay. And it was there at that time that he's ready to go down the streets. At that time, one week before, he's being honored by the people. And they're saying, blessed is the king of Israel. Really bold, really neat part. Um, Something that is, is kind of shocking when you think about what happens a week later. So a few notes that I have to myself. This seems to be a great honor for Jesus. If you think about it and you read about it, all Christians can be really excited about this. Like, yes, he deserved to be honored. He's the son of God. Why not honor him? If I was there, I would have honored him. Jesus keeps, he keeps talking about it. This is his kingship. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't tell them to stop. He doesn't tell them to be quiet. Don't tell them who I am. He lets this go on. And he continues to teach them that I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. He's telling them that. He's being very bold about it, knowing that that's being considered heretical and he's, and he's going to get killed for it. He's still telling them that. But then he kind of, he, he kind of freaks them out. He starts foretelling of his upcoming death which is just about one week away, especially his disciples. It's like, yes, our king is finally on the throne. We're going to follow him, and he's going to overthrow Herod and all those guys, and he's going to take over, and he's going to be in charge of the church. And this world is finally going to get corrected like it's been talked about. 
And he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to get killed, and I'm going to rise in three days. So he's, this kind of stuff's getting thrown, kind of throwing them for a loop. Anybody who understood prophecies in that, it's kind of being thrown for a loop. Does that negate his kingship? It doesn't. It doesn't negate his kingship. But it starts making the people having to think more. You know, get out of that dullness. Think more. Read the scriptures more. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm telling you. So let's fast forward to John 12, 23. Oh, my. Thank you. You probably can't see that. Or can you? Okay. You can't see. Thank you so much. That's better. Mine's really small, but I got it here. I'm just going to read a few verses. Uh, I'm going to read 23 to 26. So Jesus predicts his death. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, but remains only a single seed, um, but if it dies, sorry, sorry, if only, a, if, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. These sound like they're all different things, but they're not. It's all about Jesus talking about what his death is going to be and how we continue to follow him, even through that process, even through that, through that stuff that's going to go down that nobody at the time was understanding very deeply. Verse 27, can you throw that up there? This is where we see another glimpse of Jesus is still flesh. He's still human. God's still letting him have all those emotions that you and I go through. He's just got a lot more wisdom and a lot more insight and a lot more hearing of the Father talking to him that probably keeps him at peace. But he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? So he just told him, I'm going to die. Y'all are going to kill me. All this Hosanna stuff is great, but you're going to kill me in a week, and I'm going to rise in three days. And of course, that troubles me. You know, what kind of betrayal would you feel if we went down the road and said, Dave Gaylor, come outside. The whole church is going to stone you. We love you, but we hate you. Come outside. What kind of betrayal would you feel from the church, your beloved, your closest ones, if you knew that information? He's trying to tell them, y'all are going to kill me, and I don't like that. He says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So boldness again. Jesus is just laying it on the line. Just boldness. This next part's kind of cool. And I, I'm, I always think about Jesus' reaction. Then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd was there and they heard it. It thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. It, and it says, Jesus says, <laughs> this is for your benefit, not mine. I think about this. Jesus is sitting there, and after he says, Father, your name be glorified, he knew what the Father was going to say. The Father says it. I have glorified it. I'm going to glorify it again. And Jesus is going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell him. Tell, that's for your benefit. I already talked to him. I hear him every... Did you hear that? How many times does he have to just keep amping this up to say, do you hear that the Father is already speaking to you and he's speaking to you through me? He did that directly to you. That wasn't for me. I already heard it. I already know that. He's speaking to you. Are we still so dull? Or do, we still, do we still 
not get that. If I was a Jew during those times, I would, I would have struggled. I would have been trying to hear. It's like, Jesus, help me understand this. Jesus goes on to say in 31, now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Satan's going to be driven out. He's going to be conquered in the way that Jesus is, is uh, taking care of that through salvation, through his death. But he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he's going to be. I wrote a little question to myself. How and when is Jesus going to draw people to himself? Is that happening in this life? He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, understand, their understanding of being lifted up was he's going to be lifted up on a cross and crucified. So he's still blowing them away. So I'm going to be lifted up, by the way. I am going to be lifted up. And when that happens, I will draw all men to myself, all people to myself. Is that lifting up, drawing everybody to himself, was that just for that day? Is that for another time that's to come yet when everything comes crashing down around us? When the prophecy of the stars and the moon and a third of the sky is just falling and crashing to the earth and fire and brimstone and all the stuff that falls apart before the new heaven and new earth, is it for that time? Well, we have to keep looking at Scripture to understand that. I want to look at Philippians 2. If you want to flip to that, you can. I cheated. Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Come on, people. Amen? Amen. You agree with that statement or you do not? Amen. 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 That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Jesus said, all, everybody's going to bow before me. It's hard to think about that. When you know the hellions, the worst of the worst, the people who were, they just never going to turn around. I think there's still some point in time when everybody goes, they hit the dirt. When they're in front of God, they're kind of like Job, like, forgive me for even ever speaking. I spoke once, but I'll never speak again. I had no idea how big you were, how you are, how you are love, how you are everything. And he's going to tell a bunch of them, get away from me. I didn't know you. But I think everybody's going to go thump. I think you won't be able to help but hit the dirt when you see who the Father is, when you're in front of his glory. I don't know that you can help that. But I guarantee you, you'll be on your knees. If you're standing, you will be knocked down. Amen? Amen? He's not, he's not going to stand for dishonor. He's not going to stand for disobedience. We'll all be on our knees. And you smart ones, you faithful ones, me included, we would have already made those statements. I'll tell you, for, for me and Tamara, I'm not waiting till that stuff starts falling apart. And I'm like, uh-oh, third of the moon is on the way to the Pacific Ocean. I've already stated that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior over my life, and he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? How many in here have said that? Raise your hands. Said that or said pieces of that or have that understanding in your heart? You're not so dull. If you got that truth planted in you, you got so much more wisdom than the world can ever teach you. I don't care how many degrees you have. That's the stuff that saves us. That's the stuff that 
motivates us and teaches us and sends us forward and we quit sitting idle and sucking our thumbs about the silly stuff of what's going on in this life. That's the stuff that just, I, I don't know how people don't get who God and who Jesus is or how they don't seek him. I think it's because they're so hurt. Some people are so hurt, they just can't believe, how can it be a God when a, when a baby dies of cancer? I don't know why the baby died of cancer, but I know that there's God. I know that he cares. I know that he loved the child. I know he created that child. More than likely, that child's in his lap right now. So I try not to, I try not to take those two things and balance them in my head because my head's not that smart. But where I have wisdom is where all of you have wisdom, where you, you patted yourself in the chest and you raised your hands boldly and said, I have said that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. He is the Messiah. He is the one to come. That's where you have a lot of wisdom. This last part, and this is, this is kind of a sad part for today. This last part says the Jews continue in their unbelief. Understand, we need to give some of these guys a break. We need to give some of the Jews a break. We need to give some of these folks a break. Um, maybe there was confusion. Some of them knew prophecy. Some of them had read the Torah. They've been taught in synagogues, and they knew, they knew something. They knew pieces. Anybody here know pieces of the Bible? You're, you ever been accused of or guilty of, I know this part of the Bible, but I really don't understand the whole context of it. I know about this prophecy, but I don't know about this prophecy. Anybody? Sure. Sure. It's hard to understand. That's why we have to ask God for wisdom. We can't just understand. It doesn't matter if you read this thing through several times. The Holy Spirit has to make those things known to us. But I, I see some faithfulness in here. So when the crowd spoke up in John 12, 34, you want to put that up there? Yep. The crowd spoke up. He said, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the man must be lifted up or the son of man must be lifted up or crucified? Who's the son of man? So they have heard that this is supposed to be a forever kingship. We're just walking you down the street and saying, Hosanna to the highest, to the glory, to the king of Israel. And you're saying that you're going to die here pretty soon. If you read through Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, I don't know if you, oh, look at you. Reminder from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. When? From that time on and forever. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Amen. From that time and forever. It's established under Jesus. Period. So they're a little confused. They're like, what are you saying? This kingdom's supposed to be forever. There's no end to this thing. Just that you're going to die. They're not understanding all the prophecies. The Jews didn't understand all the prophecies. They didn't put together that there was a need for the Savior that there had to be a scourge of this Christ. There had to be these stripes that healed us. There had to be his death allowable by his own hands and by his mighty and his planned defeat of death. None of this is new to Jesus. None of this is shock or surprise. He's got the whole picture. He's trying to teach that picture. Some people are listening, some are not. Some are getting it, some are not. Some are getting pieces of it, not all of it. I would have been Peter he would have scolded me all the time because I thought, I got it. Yes, you are the Christ. I don't want you to get killed, though. Get behind me, Satan. 
I would have been Peter because I, I, I understand so far sometimes and then I just get stuck. I get stew stuck. Anybody ever get stew stuck? It's a weird place to be. It's a weird place to be. I, I, I ask you not to get stew stuck. Maybe you get Jim stuck or Janet stuck, but don't get stew stuck. Lots of stuff goes on up there that's scary. Where was I headed? So he planned this. If you look in uh, John 10, and this is back a bit, John 10, verse 17. The reason that my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down. I'm letting you guys kill me, by the way. I have the authority to take it right back up, by the way. This is before his death. So these guys are like, yeah, whatever. A lot of them didn't get it. Even his closest disciples, they still, they still didn't get it. This command I received from my father, this authority, this command he received from the father, our father. He gave a promise to come back and to get us. So this is all planned. Jesus has all this figured out already. He and the father already have this laid out on how this has to go down. If any of you want, we're going to fast forward. Hopefully Pastor Joey doesn't mind us. We're going to fast forward to John 14, 1 through 4. It's not past Philippians, it's before Philippians. If any of you lost suddenly where you are, like I did. Okay, John 14, 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. You'll also be with me where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So there's, so there's so many pieces. If we, get, if we get stuck in a certain perspective, if we get stuck in a certain mindset, we're not going to get God and Jesus in, in full perspective. To get out of our dullness, we have to seek him in his full perspective, in his full will, in his full plan. And these are those things that if he had gone deeper with these guys there, they weren't getting, he'd already overloaded them. I think he couldn't give them any more. I think they saturated on what he spoke to them, and those other things just had to come to pass. But they're saying, well, you're going to die? I thought your kingdom's going forever. Yeah, this is part of it, though. I have to die so that your belief in me is washed away with the blood that comes off of me, and then I will rise again, having defeated death and all the sin that you stuck on me. Amen? I mean, that's the plain way for me to, sorry for spitting, that's the plain way for me to understand that. Jesus had to die, so Stu died. Stu's sin life died. If I don't die, I don't what? I don't, I don't grow. I don't create life in me. I just die. I'm just a seed that hits the ground. I just die. But if I die in Christ, I live forever. If you die in Christ, you live forever. Amen? How many of you have already started that journey again? Raise your hands. You already started that journey. You're not waiting for these final times. You already have that in you. But these guys didn't. They didn't quite understand, and they're still trying to get it. All right. 18 more pages. Okay. 2021, fast forward, the world still doesn't understand this. They don't understand these things. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for letting some of this be plainly given to us. We can just read it through Scripture. We can read, we can read John 12, 35. 
Jesus told them, you are going to have the light a little while longer, you disciples, you believers. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Fast forward to verse 44. This, this amps it up. This steps it up for our generation, for all those who are living in the world today. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. Who sent him? Say his name boldly. God. Father God sent Jesus. Amen? Okay. So when you believe in Jesus, you don't just believe in Jesus. You don't just take this fluffy, manly looking carpenter, soft guy. You get this God also who is very filled with wrath when we disobey him, who's so powerful that we should shake at our knees if we think about him. And wisdom is given by those who fear the Lord. You get the whole package. You believe in me, you believe in him. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. There's a choice. You can stay in darkness. I don't mean just us. The world. You can stay in darkness or you can live in the light. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I don't judge that person. I didn't come to judge the world but to save the world. This is the consequence of not having faith, of saying, I don't get it. I don't understand this Jesus stuff. I don't really, I don't know if I understand. I don't believe. That's the lighthearted way. If you don't understand, you don't believe, and you say those things, there's still hope for you. If you say, this is stupid, you're an idiot for believing in Jesus. I am not going to follow some church's rules about how I live my life you're starting to go down this consequence path. You're starting to go down this dumb path. You're not just dull, you're stupid. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I'm not saying that to be mean. He's laid everything out in front of us. He gave us enough information that people would sit and listen long enough. I don't judge the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day. If they hang on to that, if there's people in your life that say, I just can't believe that. I can't believe that there's a God. And they die tomorrow. Oh, my God. It's done for them. It's done for them. I don't know if that helps amp you up. I don't know if that helps give you courage to talk to those of your loved ones who are so stupid and stubborn that they say things like that. It's like, if you're going to say that in front of me, don't say it. I don't want to talk to you because I'm telling you the truth and I love you and I want you to be in heaven with me forever. And what you're saying is so dangerous. Please understand that. Be bold enough to say that. I love Kinsey. I love Kinsey's heart. This morning we were talking about something, and she had an opportunity to talk to somebody, asked her if she believed in God. She said she did. And I said, did you finish that conversation? She's like, no, I didn't want to step on his toes. And she, she absolutely represents a whole bunch of us in this room. Well, I don't want to step on toes. I said, I said, sweetheart, I would rather, these days, maybe I'm getting crotchety. I'd rather step and hurt someone's toes than to have their finger be dipped in hell, let alone the rest of their body for the rest of eternity, amen? Step on toes. You need to step on toes. You need to hurt feelings. You need to do whatever. Please do that. Don't, don't, don't let that stop you. The last part, of verse 49, Jesus says, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. He just keeps validating himself. He doesn't have to have anybody else validate him. God's validating for him. And he's not, he's not saying her, uh, anything heretical, though the people at that time think he is. I didn't speak on my own. The father who sent me commanded me what to say. 
all that I have spoken is what he's communicating to me. I know that his command leads to eternal life. Jesus says, I know it. It's done. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Validated. Validated. Where does that leave us? Where does that leave the church? Where does that leave believers in God? I, I threw three challenges out here to wrap this up. We believers have all the wisdom that we need to not be so dull about Jesus and about God. We have all of it. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the written word. You have Christ living in you. You have the Holy Spirit and Jesus who are advocating for you. It's like, Father, forgive Stu. That was a stupid thing he said. Oh, here he comes. He just apologized. You have these advocates for who you are because you're in Christ. Once you were in him, it's such, a, it's such a wonderful place to be. You don't have to live in fear. If someone walks up to you on the street, it's like, if you die today, where are you going to go? If you say, I don't know, you better talk to me. You better talk to Pastor Joey so we can see what's going on in your head that you don't know. If you're in Christ, you're good to go. Amen? I better hear a lot more amens than three. Amen? Amen. If you're in Christ, you've accepted him as Lord and Savior. There's no guessing. There's no more being dull. Be wise. If you don't have wisdom, what can you do? What's the Bible say if you don't have wisdom? Ask for it. God, give me wisdom. This is hard for me to understand. Give me wisdom. Stu doesn't make sense, and he's talking way too fast. I don't get it. You can forget everything I said and say, God, give me wisdom. As I leave this place, give me wisdom. I'm confused. I don't even know what just happened in there. But he says, if you ask, I'll give you wisdom. So when Jesus says, are you so, still so dull? I don't want to be wrapped up in that. I don't want to be dull. I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus as much as I can in this earthly form with this earthly brain um, so that I'm not as shocked when I get to meet him face to face, when I get to stand in his glory. So I can honor him in that way. I hope I have a palm branch the second I hit heaven. <laughs> Hosanna to the Lord on high, right? No? No one else you want a palm branch? You'll be like, Stu, he's so wacky. I've been dead for 10 years, and he jumps in wanting a palm branch right away. You don't get that till you're here 20 years, Stu. Oh, I didn't know. I just thought I was going to have a palm branch. First challenge, don't be so dull. The second challenge, here's an easy one. Here's an easy, hard one. Easy, hard one. Let us be the ones to put Jesus on his throne. It's his anyways. They, they tried to do it back then. They said, Hosanna to the highest. Glory be to the king of Israel. Glory be to the son on high. Let us be the one. When I say that, you be the one who puts Jesus on his throne. It's like, Jesus, you are already on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Amen? If you can't say that boldly, you better learn to say that boldly because he's already there. You just better get it in your thick skull that he's already there. And the Father is on the throne. It's like, Father, I worship you. You are, my, you are my God. You are my king. You are the creator. And you and the son, I can't even begin to thank you and understand you enough. But I know who you are. I know where you are. I know who I am in you. Period. So we can start that. You can start that today. If you've never done that before, you put Jesus on his throne. You quit messing around and thinking that you have to either earn your way to him or that something special has to happen and he's got to prod you to say that. Just say it. Jesus, I put you on your throne at the right hand of the Father. I can't wait till you come back to get me. I love my life here, but I understand that I'm going to be with you for millions of years. 
Be honest with him. You don't have to talk to anybody else about it. You don't have to sit in a Bible study for 12 weeks in a row to learn that stuff. He already gave you all that knowledge. Amen? So he's given you everything you need. Put him on his throne. It's his anyways. Just acknowledge that. Then the last part. Hmm. Let's go out with his power and our testimony to heal the blind, the ones who are unable to see him, the deaf who are too ignorant or too stubborn to listen, and the sick, the ones who just can't, they can't get out of their, they can't get out of their sin life. They can't get out of their doubt life. They can't get out of their, I don't know what to do life. That's where we come in. I know you may get tired of hearing that. If that's, been, if that's been a common theme for this last year that you think we're trying to kill a dead horse, well, the horses are dead. Y'all can't just, me included, you can't just come to church and be fed and go, oh, that was such a good sermon. I'm going to go home and eat potato salad. You take that, you add it to that wisdom, you add that to that anti-dullness, and then you walk in power and in strength and in courage. And when someone says to you, do you believe in God? Someone said to Bob last night when he, he's talking to me, he's almost in tears because this is such a good friend of his. This friend hasn't, hasn't put his life in Christ, nor has the wife. They haven't put their life in Christ yet. They haven't put their life in Christ yet. And Bob and Teresa know that they are to be ministering to them, and they have been. But last night, a really cool thing happened Bob, while Bob was sharing and mourning with his friend. His friend said, Bob, will you pray for me? His friend said that. The one who's been rejecting Jesus, who just lost his 20-year-old son and doesn't know what to do with that information, hasn't even gotten his son's body back to Ohio yet, knows that there's somebody up there listening. He said, Bob, would you pray for me? And Bob did. He opened that door wide. That person went, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I don't know. I pray for courage for Bob and Teresa to speak all matters of truth and honesty to that family so that they will know that they can be where you all are. And you can say that I've already confessed my love and I've professed my commitment to God and to Jesus, my Savior. Help others get there. It's not your, it's not your job to get them there and shove their head in the water, but you can invite them. You certainly can invite them. They can rear and kick and scream fight, curse you out, ignore you, just invite them. Invite them to meet Jesus. You're not dull. You have everything you need. You have, your tool belt's full. I challenge you with that. Your tool belt is full. Your wisdom is full. The word is before you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. And in me. I keep saying you a lot because I'm, I'm speaking to all y'all, but I'm speaking to me. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beauty of summer. I love all the hours of daylight, Lord. I'm actually mourning for those on the other side of the hemisphere who have the shortest day of the year, Lord, but maybe they love that short day. But I thank you for your hand in creation, Lord. I thank God that we aren't the ones who are in control. Of May you enter our life every day with your Holy Spirit, teaching us the way to go, the words to say. It's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray these things. We thank you for Father's Day. I pray that you bless every household, Lord. May it, may it be a wonderful day. Guide us, guard us, take us home safely. We love you. We trust you. Oh, we need you, Lord. In your perfect name, amen.